Welcome to the sermon podcast of Shuck Memorial Baptist Church in Lewisburg, West Virginia. Our mission is to know Christ and to make Him known by living out God's Word daily. For more information, check out our website at shuckmemorial.com. We're so glad you could join us today. Good morning. This is Pastor JT here with you. As we look at Philippians, we're going to look at Philippians 1, 5 through 6 this morning, dealing with gospel partnership. And starting out here in verse 5, Paul says, I'm glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed until now. Verse 6 says, I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job. By the day of Christ Jesus. And you think about those words there uh, that Paul begins to to explain to them. He says, from the first time you heard this, received it, that that you've been excited to to partner with him. And he says, we're going to complete this work here uh, by the time that that we are here in the very presence of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, for eternity. So he's talking about here partnership as well, so important. If you've ever been on a team, you realize the team works better when they work together. And certainly, um, you know, in life, sometimes we can get boggled down. Uh, Galatians 5.13 says, For you've been called to live in freedom. We've been called to live in freedom, which is the good news. But he says, My brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. How important it is for us to be reminded that we're called to serve one another in love, to not satisfy our selfish desires. You know that our selfish desires are our biggest stumbling blocks. You know, we want, we want, we, we need it our way. All these, you know, adjectives and things could be described as just these stumbling blocks when we feel this way. And he says, so don't live by our sinful nature, but live by the freedom of serving one another thinking of others, you know, even more uh, above yourself. And, and you know, at times we might say, man, that makes me uncomfortable or I don't like that. Uh, but maybe it's not for us, right? Maybe we're trying to reach someone else that, that this does resonate with. And so, um, you know, it's it's that compromise, that, that help. And that's the attitude that the church here in, in Philippians had in Philippi. They wanted to serve God. And, and so they were so excited. And Paul's like, hey, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to serve God and we're going to get to the point that we're going to get this done and we're going to see as many people as we possibly can to, to share the word of God with them. And then we're going to celebrate at that day of completion when we arrive there at the feet of Jesus. And so lots to celebrate. But, you know, we just had an Ash Wednesday service this past week and it reminds us to this passage in Galatians uh, 5.13. It's, it just reminds us, you know, we, we haven't been called to, to live in this... Uh, in this desire of selfishness, you know, our culture that we live in is, is tells us it's all about ourselves, but it's not. Everything about the Bible reminds us that we are to abandon ourselves and yet pursue Christ, pick up our cross. And not a popular message, but it's the truth. You know, and we think about, you know, accountability partners. You know, if I am, if I put a a sticker on my shirt and looked in the mirror and said, I'm my accountability partner. That's a terrible accountability partner. And that's the same with any of you here listening to this as well. You know, we need people in our life. Fortunate to have some pastors I'm able to meet with, to, to have some accountability with and share. I've, I've got, 
you know, several other people that I'm able to go to. And, and you know, I want you to know that, that you're not alone. You need accountability people. I'm the pastor of the church. I need some people um, there to, to share my struggles and, and hardships with. And, and you need that as well. And so either either come and, and use me as your pastor, as your accountability partner, get into a small group, but get real with each other. Share your struggles with each other. Because Paul says, hey, this is a teamwork. This is something we're doing all together. In verse 5, Paul is talking about gospel partnership. Paul provides one of the reasons for for his grateful joy. Um, He says, you know, not only has the church supported Paul and served as co-workers on the mission field from the beginning, but as a result, he's filled with joy and thanksgiving because he's seeing their passion for the Lord. And man, that's just getting him like even more excited. You know, we come and we worship and and if we're really worshiping and if we're really getting excited about Jesus, you know, that that's going to uh, just flow over to others who are coming and joining us as well. And they're going to want to be here, want to worship as well. Because again, it's not about us. It's about glorifying God Almighty. So here's some questions for you this morning. What does gospel partnership mean? Well, to answer this question first, we need to consider the word partnership. Now, that's a that's a Greek word that is uh, called, it says koinia. That's the Greek word. It appears throughout Philippians in, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 5, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 14. You get the point. It's in there a lot. Uh, we often translate koinia as fellowship. When I was a student back at Eastern University, where I went to college, we had the koinia cafe, which was definitely a place of fellowship, place you'd hang out and stuff, do your homework, uh, chill out, get some. They had some really good uh, Philly cheesesteaks there. That I, man, I enjoyed those. Might have to go up there someday just to get one. About a six-hour drive from here, I guess. So. But D.A. Carson, uh, jumping jumping gears here before I get off track, talking about Philly and their cheesesteaks. But D.A. Carson, you know, he said the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Now think about that. Think about that. The heart of true fellowship is self sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. In Philippians, koinonia refers to gospel-centered friendship. In two aspects of gospel partnership, it's friendship and it's mission. They go together. Because that's why Paul says next in Philippians 1, 7, 8, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment He's like, I feel, I feel your prayers here while I'm in, in prison. But he also goes on and he says this, and in the detence and conformity of the gospel. Think about those words too. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, he says, with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he says, you know, look at this. Um, with grace, and, and even in the midst of my imprisonment, and even in the defense and conformity of the gospel message, he says, for God is my witness how I, I yearn to be with you all, and, and, and you know, because we share the same af- affection with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He's like, this is awesome. You know, Christ established their friendship. They were bound together by the Holy Spirit, even though they may have been from, from different places, some from Rome, Greece, Asia. They could be brothers and sisters because of their spiritual uh, realities. Unbelievers can have friendships. Now, think about what I just said. Unbelievers can have friendships with non-believers, right? These friendships are the result of God's common grace to humanity. And you should. 
I'm telling you today, you should have friendships with unbelievers, just as Jesus did. I like this quote by Dylan Broggs. He says, Then I read that Jesus was a friend of sinners. This still bothers me. Not because Jesus was a friend of sinners, because, well, that came in really handy in my case. It bothered me because I'm trying to live like Jesus. That means I'm supposed to be friends of sinners also. And it bothers me because as I look around at those I engage with on a regular basis, they're not sinners, which means I'm not sharing the gospel message as I should. You know, I think that's a convicting quote. Uh, In his book, Friend of Sinners, Pastor um, Harvey Turner wrote, he said, if your life is a mess, You can help others meet Jesus because you're telling them that Jesus has the power to save your life because look how messy your life was. You know, it's it's not to be ashamed of our past, but it's to use our past to say, look, if God could have redeemed me from the things to which I used to do, he can redeem you as well. That's the good news of the gospel here this morning. C.S. Lewis wrote, he said uh, in his book, The Four Loves, Great book to check out and read here this this winter. It'd be an awesome read. But he says in his book here, The Four Loves, he says, Lewis said, friendships are discovered when you say, what? You two? I thought I was the only one. You know, they're based on commonality. Gospel friendships are, are much deeper because there is a you too that's radically deeper. You know, we, we share a common ground of having the, the same Savior, Lord, Messiah, that, that, that unites us through the Holy Spirit. And that when we gather together, we gather together to worship a holy God. You know, when a, when a couple gets married, you know, usually I'll do some, some marriage counseling and stuff and remind them that, you know, two, two sinners are now becoming one. And when a bunch of sinners come together, <laughs> redeemed though they are um, to form a church, there's going to be some trouble because, you know, you look at the church even in Philippi, we're going to get some of that trouble here later. But, but you know, as a church, we are we are sinners. We are wrestling with that. In fact, Paul tells them here in verse 6 that we just read, he said, you know, we're going we're gonna to do the ministry. We're going to get people to know Jesus, but we're not going to be complete within ourselves till we are before Christ because we're going to wrestle a little bit with the sinful nature we have. And just like the verse out of Galatians, we have this freedom, but not freedom to go out and sin. We have freedom to not put ourselves first. We have this freedom to worship God and draw others to him. So as we do that, you know, we look at this this understanding here as, as we come back to this ideal of partnership. From the gospel, we learn about sin, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, service. You know, we learn what is necessary to maintain relationships. When Paul calls the Philippians to unite in chapter 4, he mentions some, some gospel concepts. Agree in the Lord, true partnership, contend for the gospel at my side, co-workers, names are in the book of life. I mean, you listen to some of these words. These are gospel applications that maintain relationships. We are made for relationships. No dying person ever says, hey, you know, bring me my my diploma. I'm dying. <laughs> bring me my trophies from the third grade while you're at it too. You know, these are not things that, that people say. Instead, you know, he, he wants people beside his bedside, right? That That's what we would want. And I've been the chaplain here at the Briar for, for about almost five years going on. And one of the things that, that I've noticed here too is that, that people truly do um, want people beside them. And that, I think that's been a hard part of this pandemic. Um, not only for nursing homes, but also those in the hospitals, especially earlier on in this pandemic, not able to be with loved ones. But it's not our stuff that we want at the end. It's not our accomplishments or our degrees 
or our achievements. It's, it's the people around us. And that's why today we need to build on those relationships. And as we do that, we, we work together for that common good. So at least there's four obstacles that will keep us from having such enjoyable, edifying relationships as a, as a Christian. One of those things is, is sensationalism. We're going to look at that here in, in just a second. Sensationalism, it says, you know, they, they don't they don't find Christianity or the community exciting enough, right? I, I'd go to church, but it's just not it's just not exciting for me, you know. I'm always looking for the next big thing, but you know what? The 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 next big thing is Jesus Christ stepping off the clouds, coming back for His church. That's the next big thing, and that's what I'm excited for more than anything else. To to look up and see my redemption drawing ever more near. You see, the, the Christian life isn't about shock and awe. It's about lowly acts of service and love for others, regarding others uh, even more important than our, ourselves. Because if we know Jesus Christ, we got a hope that's secure. But if others don't, they're lost. And so our job is to get them to know Christ. And so that is extraordinarily significant in the life of the believer. You know, Dylan Broggs, I, I quoted him earlier, but he also says, you know, whether whether we live in poverty or prosperity, we can still live gener- generously towards others. And so that's so so important uh, for us as a church to remember that. And then there's this number two kind of obstacle, this mystics. You know, they, they make the Christian life into a series of quiet times. They, they desire to live a, a me and Jesus kind of Christianity without the church. But Christianity is a we and Jesus, not just a me and Jesus. That's, that's why the, the church is a body. And we think about some of the mystics throughout church history and stuff. I mean, great, great, awesome people. But, but, but they took all the knowledge here of the scriptures and understanding of Christ and never were able to, to effectively share it with others and missed out on, on such opportunities, as well as the fellowship with one another. We all desire fellowship with each other. I think that's the hardest part of this pandemic. Like, so desperately do we desire that fellowship. I mean, we just, you know... <laughs> Uh, I'm thankful that we're able to have the church back open and being able to do services, but we desire those potluck meals. We desire, you know, that great cooking. We desire that good fellowship. We desire those hugs and handshakes and and uh, being together. And we we will get back to those things, but but you know we desire that. And then there's this um, this I- idealistic um, approach, which is uh, which is number three, which we could probably all see how an idealistic approach could. Um, Probably be a stumbling block, you know, struggling in Christian community because they have the, in the words of Bonhoeffer, a wish dream of what the church ought to be, and it never lives up to their expectations. Uh, that's also in his book Life Together, another great book. I've been able to read some books here over this uh, this winter, and so got some great great stuff for the church to share over the upcoming months. But that approach doesn't work either because you know what? The church isn't perfect. As we said earlier, you take two um, husband and wife, you put them together, then you got two two sinners. You take a church of uh, 100 people and you put them together, then you got 100 sinners, right? I mean, you're going to have brokenness and hardship and that's okay. But we can't say that everything's going to be perfect because it's not. It's not. And so, and Paul didn't say that either. He said, we're working to the goal to get to Christ. That's when things are going to be perfect. But until then, it's always going to be some turbulence going up and down. But this, uh, this final roadblock that, that hits us here as well is that individualist kind of attitude that, that falls prey to a culture that only enjoys community, perhaps maybe online or at a distance. Um, and th- this is kind of tough too with, uh, with technology, um, video game culture. Maybe we see it in our kids a lot more where you know their, their relationships are more based on playing games on- online instead of interacting maybe with other kids in, in person. 
And so this is a this is a quote that I found I thought was interesting. You know, we have a culture of busy loneliness. People do a lot of stuff, but they remain extremely lonesome because they they suffer from not being interactive with other people. And I and I think during this pandemic, we've all probably suffered with that a little bit. And maybe we're we're really busy, but we're lonely busy because of what we're doing. And so it doesn't have to be this way though. Okay, this is good because today we can get a new vision. You know, you need gospel partnership. That's what Paul says. You know, that's important. And and the first thing to establish here this morning, we need that gospel partnership. And those united together in Christ by the Spirit from every tribe, every tongue who live on the gospel. You know, friends, that will fall and fell, but who need the same grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in our life. That's what's important. You know, you need more than friendship. You need co-workers on a mission for the kingdom of God who love Jesus. And so you look at the church in Philippi, you know, regarding their shared mission of the gospel proclamation, Paul calls the Philippians to suffer, suffer for the gospel as he goes on to commend them for sharing the gospel with that koinia word in his troubles for the sake of the gospel. You know, I remember when I worked at Starbucks up in Philly, one of the things is like you you learn very quickly like there's a different relationship between like the workers and those who come in as the customers the pursuers right i mean you you build this camaraderie like you learn how to make the the drinks you you learn kind of the punchlines you learn the jokes you learn how to to work together uh, with each other in a special kind of relationship if you've been a part of a team right if you work in a good restaurant with others you you bond um, this this uh, this camaraderie with one another, and you have this great bond, and so you know that's that's what Paul's kind of saying, and, and in a way like this, like you just you work for each other. Like when I was up at Starbucks, like if somebody needed to to get off for a wedding or go out of town or or need, had a bad day, like we knew how to like fill in for each other or juggle our, our shifts together, or just help one another out. Like man, you know somebody would go and pick up some like hamburgers or something one night for for us like when the closing crew just say hey i appreciate you guys man and and our our manager would make sure like take care of us like make sure we had like plenty of espresso on the bar that we were working fast and quick and stuff but but you know that that's like a special camaraderie that you have uh with those around you and and it's great and you know in the church we should have it even more because we have the camaraderie of jesus christ our lord and savior so you know, as we look at Paul, he, he saw the Philippians as co-workers who, who brought him great joy because of their fellowship. But but sadly, this is the, the truth here. Many see the church as an audience of customers to please rather than a group of co-workers who spread the gospel all week and then gather together to encourage one another. I mean, that's what we should be, right? Not out to try to please everybody because at the end of the day, we can't please everybody, right? I mean, it's just impossible. We don't live in a utopian society. We live in a broken world. Not everybody's going to be pleased because not everybody likes the same things. But beyond what we like and beyond uh, being pleased, we should be satisfied and satisfied on Christ alone that we've been in his presence. And so what church is, is not coming and and being pleased and satisfied. It's coming, being broken and and, and being willing to be vulnerable and, and, and share in a repentance attitude with your heart and, and love one another and continue to serve and encourage. And so we come that we're filled with, with worship and praise and adoration towards God. Remember, all that is directed towards God. And then we're filled with the very word of God that encourages us and strengthens us and, and challenges us throughout the week. And, and we draw together, we share with each other, 
We know we're not alone in this in this world. So our concept of fellowship today is often kind of watered down to mean little more than just kind of hanging out. You know, if you have coffee with a with a non-Christian, then you're just having coffee. But if you have coffee with a believer, you know, then we call that fellowship, right? You know, while socializing is part of a fellowship, there's much more to it, though. You know, we share in this common mission of making the gospel known to the world. That's our job as the church. And through Christ, we are friends and co-workers with other believers. It's, it's one thing to have gospel-centered friendships, but it's another to have common co-workers on a mission for Christ. You know, if you get both friendship and co-workers here for the kingdom of God, then then you're getting a really good deal because that's what we want. You know, in a movie that, that came out, of course, for a movie, it was a book. In the book, The Fellowship of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien, he, he writes a, a thrilling story to illustrate the ideal of gospel partnership. Yeah, the, the fellowship is made up of radical, diverse, little um, pipe-smoking hobbits with with big hair, hairy feet from the, the green shrine, a few warrior men, a wizard, an elf with an amazing archery skills, and, and out from under the mountain dwarf with an axe and an attitude, right? I mean, you, you know who I'm talking about if you've seen this movie. And together they share a common mission of defeating the, the forces of darkness and, and saving Middle Earth. Uh, they were willing to die for one another for the mission that they had before them. And so you can check it out. It's, a, it's you know, if you want to read the book or you want to see the movie, you can check either one out. But but that's the, the plot behind the movie. But but then you jump back into what Paul's saying. And Paul says that in the fellowship of the gospel, now you like how I did that? Fellowship of the rings, so fellowship of the gospel. That's pretty, it's clever there, right, huh? So we recognize, though, our differences, but we celebrate our unity in Jesus and, and commit to give ourselves for the mission of making the gospel known. You know, if you have partners in the gospel, you should celebrate. If you don't, and you're a Christian, then you need to get involved in your church, and you need to get connected to other believers so that you do have partners here in the gospel. You know, we got to cultivate here gospel partnerships. You know, how, how might we enjoy such friendships? Well, we must put the gospel first. Notice how many times gospel or, or proclaim appears just in chapter 1 here in Philippians. Because they loved the gospel. They were co-laboring. They were loyal friends here. I mean, do do this, right? When, when you're together around the table at a ball game or, or you know, dining at a restaurant or just, just talk about Jesus. If your waitress comes over and says, do you need anything? say, you know, I got everything I need here. I appreciate your order, but hey, do you need anything? Can I pray for you? Let me share, let me tell you about Jesus. I mean, just do something to get the word out. You know, talk about your your time in the, the word, you know, share your prayer concerns with each other here in the church. I mean, be intentional about your relationships with the, with the Lord, with one another, and center all you do and say on, on Christ Jesus. It's it's not complicated, guys. You don't have to be a, a scholar to understand the Bible. Jesus took a couple fishermen and they understood it so much they changed the world. And so that's what we're talking about, the outworking of, of this Christ-centered unity between Paul and the Philippians. It manifested in, in at least three ways. I mean, first, they provided financial aid and personal care to Paul. He was touched by that. Uh, ben Weatherington, a renowned New Testament scholar, he has a commentary on Philippians titled Friendship and Finances in Philippi. 
And so financial aid was a major aspect to their partnership. But second, their partnership involved suffering alongside one another and encouraging one another. You know, you think about that, suffering with one another, encouraging one another. And finally, uh, third, their partnership involved praying for one another. So, so when is the last time that you've, you've suffered uh, for someone in the church, that you've been inconvenienced to help them, you went out of your way? Or when is the last time you truly prayed for somebody? And I know so many times I'm on Facebook and stuff, we might say, I'm praying for you and stuff like that. But but are you actually intentionally praying for that person? Because if you say you're just praying and you don't, that's lying, right? We got to be true about when we tell somebody we're going to pray for them, we got to pray for them right then and there. You know, these are, these are good tests for whether or not you have a gospel partnership. Generosity, uh, suffering alongside with one another, encouraging one another, and praying for one another. Those are all great signs for gospel partnership. And what gives Paul joyful thanks? Well, people, his friends, his co-laborers, right, in the mission. You know, Christian joy comes from, from Christ and in community. If you don't have deep joy, then you might not know Jesus. Or maybe you haven't cultivated such relationships or participated in the, in the mission as you should. You know, we're not saved by good deeds, we know that, church. We're not saved by good deeds. We are saved for good deeds. You know, Jesus transforms us to transform others. That's the gospel message, right? Jesus has changed you that you may be able to change somebody else for the good of the kingdom of God. As Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it out unto completion until the very day of Christ Jesus, that, that you're, God's going to keep on working on you. You know, as a believer and as a Christian, you know, we don't, my, my grandpa always told me, he said, you know, our, our retirement is out of this world, which means we don't retire while we're still living. We're still working for Christ. We're still sharing the gospel message, but that retirement will come when we enter the kingdom of God forevermore. And so as we think about the Apostle Paul here, um, he reminds us to, to continue uh, and complete uh, what we began with here, uh, the work together for the kingdom of God and continue to be faithful in it and trust in God's saving grace. You know, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians uh, verse 1, he says, On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed, this includes you because you believed our testimony to you. You know, that, that day is coming that, that Paul is describing. And that day should give us joy this day. You know, we, we learn here that salvation from beginning to end is God's work. It's always God's work. You know, God sovereignly inaugurates this work in us, opening up our hearts like he did for Lydia that we've been talking about. Oh, we receive this salvation by faith alone apart from works, as illustrated by the Philippian jailer that we've talked about here in the midst of Philippians. And God sovereignly continues this work in us. He was doing uh, for the Philippians. And so, and God will complete this work in us until that very day that we stand there before Christ Jesus. So, so here, God started the work, continues the work, and will complete the work. Sometimes when, when students um, fail to turn in their assignments before their, their term ends, they receive an incomplete. And they might be like, oh man, I can't afford an incomplete. But perhaps they should have done their assignment and turned in a completed assignment, right? They, they deal with the consequences, right? If you're not in school, you know, what about an incomplete a project around the house that we're just waiting to get to, right? I mean, man, oh man, those projects pile up, don't they? I've started many things that maybe you've never finished, right? And now you're thinking about, now you're stopping and thinking about all the things you need to go finish after this sermon's over. But God never receives an incomplete. 
God always finishes what he starts. The psalmist says in Psalm 73, 24, You guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you will take me up into glory. You know, what What a great passage of scripture. You guide me in your counsel, and afterwards you're going to take me up in your glory, Lord. You know, is there anything better than this? That, that God will take us to the glory if, if we're in Christ? It's a sure thing. You don't have to wonder. You can know for sure that Christ is, is your Lord and Savior today. Believe in him, trust in him, and then share him testify about Christ. If you speak about him before others, he'll he'll speak to you about the Father. But if you deny him before others this day, he'll deny you before the Father. You may not be sure of a lot of things in this life, but you can be sure of this. If you're a Christian, you can be sure of it because this is God's word. And God is working salvation in you today. You know, Kent Hughes reflects on God's goodness in keeping us and in his commentary on Acts, he says, as, as I reflect on my 50 plus years in Christ, it is indeed God who has kept me. It's not my grip on God that has made the difference, but his grip on me. I'm not confident in my goodness. I'm not confident in my character. I'm not confident in my history. I'm not confident in my uh, reverend persona. I'm not confident in my perseverance, but I am confident in my God. I love that that quote, you know, because I, I, love, I love the way he starts out. He says, you know, it's not my grip on God. It's the grip that God has always had on me. He says, I'm not confident in anything that I'm able to do. He said, but I'm confident in God Almighty. And that's what's so important here this, this morning as we think about those words. You know, you, you can be confident too. You know, this promise is for you and every Christian. No wonder Paul's heart is, is beaming with joy when he begins to think about this. You know, when I was in Philadelphia, I was trying to get home one Christmas, and, and boy, a big snowstorm hit, and my train got canceled. Uh, I was sitting on the train, and they said, no, it's not going to be able to go out. I, I went to the airport, and they said, no, all flights are delayed. The only thing that was left was Greyhound, and boy, they had a line to get into the, the Greyhound bus station. I had to, to wait in line several hours, finally got a, a ticket. Several hours later, finally got to, to board the bus, and, and when I got on the bus and I sat down, it was just this like this relief, like oh, I'm just gonna you know finally heading heading home. You know, I got on that bus, sat down, breathe. About two days later, spending the night in a DC uh, bus station, fi- finally made it home there. Uh, had to go all the way to Georgia, and it was a six hour drive. So so imagine two days on a Greyhound bus, way out of the way, but having to detour with snow and go every which way. Um, but you know, there was there was a, a relief to finally get where I needed to go. You know, and believers, one day we're all going home. And if you're in Christ, your destination is certain. You know, you have something even more secure than a boarding pass to assure you that you have the promise of God and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. So think about that here today. The waiting may be grueling, right? But soon it'll be over and we'll be worshiping God forevermore together as the body of Christ. So Paul knew not only the nature of God who provides salvation, but he also knew that the believer's lives demonstrated that they belong to Jesus. Does your life demonstrate to others today that you belong to Jesus? You know, if we just peek into the next verses or consider the whole letter of, of Philippians, we see that Paul commends the Philippians for their faithfulness, for their generosity, for their love towards uh, one another and towards those around them. You see, God is the only grounds of our confidence. 
But the apostle claims no insight into the eternal counsel. His assurance that the Philippians will persevere to the end arises from the external visible evidence that their lives provide. And boy, it was providing. People were drawing to the gospel. They were seeing them and, and reflecting the love of Christ into the community. In other words, right, when, when, when God works salvation into the lives of people, they bear fruit. Simple enough. What fruit are you bearing today, church? You see, they demonstrate a life of faithfulness. Paul could say, it is right for me to think this way about all of you in verse 7. For, for there were observable qualities to their faith. Paul speaks of their partnership in the gospel and of their support in the defense and establishment here of the gospel. He goes on to, to commend them for, for many other qualities. All of these fruits were evidence of God's amazing grace in their life. And John wrote in... in he said, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in their truth. 3 John 4, verse 4. Paul, too, shared this joy of hearing that the Philippians were living out their faith. Further, Paul later exhorts them to work out their own salvation with some fear and trembling. See, assurance of salvation is not an, an excuse for laziness. It should lead us to perseverance, and we can do so with hope because God graciously provides the desire and the power and the endurance for us to do the work. The doctrine of assurance of salvation then should make us happy and humble people. We should praise God with great joy for his work of salvation in our lives this day. And when you see believers giving evidence of God's grace, you should glorify God and praise God for them. You know, we should be humbled because we've done nothing to deserve such great salvation. See, God alone receives the glory. He, he started it, continues it, and will complete it. Humility should always be expressed as we grow in the knowledge and grace of God, as, as we will kill sin and stand in awe of God and set our minds on things above, live in biblical communities and dwell on God's word, and then go out and produce fruit in the life of non-believers. So today, what are you anticipating? That's the big question, isn't it? Does something other than the day of Christ Jesus fill your heart with more sustaining joy? An upcoming football game, an upcoming vacation, an upcoming expectant pregnancy, an upcoming you know movie? What is it in your life? Because Paul says that we should live with the anticipation of either dying which is gain because we're with Christ, or the return of Christ, the coming of the new heavens and the new earth, of, of seeing people begin to worship and glorify Christ. That's what we should be living for and having the anticipation for. So where's your joy today? Is it in Christian community? Living together? Being the church together? Or is it in these things of this world, broken, sinful, that will not last? The choice is always yours, church. But choose wisely, because Paul says it has eternal value and consequences. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you uh, for this opportunity to gather to be in your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, with much anticipation and joy in our hearts, Father, that you have given us the ability to, to have the church, that we are the body, that we are able to serve together, that, that Father, we should be able to, to see the fruit, Father, that, that we uh, continue to work and, and 
Father, we just thank you so much that that we can just gather today. And Lord, we pray for so many uh, this day. We pray for those down in Texas without power. Uh, We continue to pray for those who are are struggling, Father, from uh, storms. And uh, even down in Huntington, we have friends and family down there without power, Lord, in in West Virginia and and so many other places. Uh, We experience that here on Sunday, even even just temporarily, Lord. And, And Father, we just thank you. Uh, for your faithfulness. And and we pray, Father, for uh, just the word of God before us here today to remind us that we are called for fellowship. We are called to be uh, committed to to one another and together unified for the gospel message to be able to bring you worship and glory. And Father, we just pray that we will find our anticipation, our joy, and our satisfaction, Lord, in you alone this day, Lord. And we pray for, for so many all around us, Lord. And we thank you that even if the power in the church is off, we know that the power is still on because the power is through you. The gift of the Holy Spirit, Father, will change us, move us, and guide us, Father. So we we worship you here this day. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, church family, love you guys, and I look forward to being with you here next Sunday. Have a wonderful and blessed week.